Welcome to the Life & Law Podcast. I'm Heather Mulder, former AmLaw 100 partner turned lawyer coach who, just five years into my legal career, found myself teetering on the edge of burnout. But I was determined not to become yet another lawyer burnout statistic. And so I redefined success on my own terms, enabling me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating the challenges of two kids and two bed rests, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I now help purpose-driven lawyers confidently retake control of their careers and create their next level of success and impact. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Well, hello there. This is Heather Mulder, host of the Life in Law Podcast, and I'm super excited to have you here with me today. Now, I know I say that most every week, but um, I always am. And today, I'm especially excited because we are talking about something That is kind of near and dear to my heart, and that is imposter syndrome. And I guess you could say imposter syndrome itself is not necessarily near and dear to my heart, but helping people with it definitely is because it is something I have myself fought through and learned to overcome and still battle with sometimes, truth be told. I now come across more than you would expect, maybe. Uh, It's not exactly a surprise to me now that I know more about imposter syndrome, but more than the average person I think would expect, it comes up a lot with my clients. And it's interesting to me because it comes up in the obvious senses. So I do two types of coaching with my clients. One is more mindset slash career coaching. Um, People who come to me knowing that they need a little bit more confidence, something has happened where their confidence has been knocked down a bit, they doubt themselves, many of them do struggle with imposter syndrome, and they know it. And they come to me for that purpose because they know that it's holding them back. And so we start there before we go on to the more general career coaching kind of stuff, right? And that's what I call inside out success coaching. And I will have a link to that in the show notes if that is of interest to you to check out. The other folks that I work with are in-house and um, private practice attorneys who are trying to get to the next level. It's more executive coaching. And I guess I have two prongs of that. One is through a mastermind, which is a group thing. And by the way, I am right now taking applications for that. It's called Elevate. So if you are looking to grow your business and you're in private practice, you may want to check that out. I'll also include a link to that in the show notes. And then the rest is one-to-one executive coaching where I help attorneys build their businesses or make partner or do something that, you know, whatever it is that they need to do to get to the next level. And that can be both in-house and private practice attorneys, in all honesty. Now, what's interesting about those folks is they come to me with a a bigger business kind of a goal, right? They want to grow their business, or they want to make partner, or they're in-house and they're trying to get up to that next level, maybe an executive position. And they don't come to me thinking, well, I need mindset coaching, or, you know, I'm suffering from imposter syndrome, or I have self-doubts. They come to me with kind of that business goal in mind. But I will say that probably 80% of the time, we end up dealing with a lot of self-doubt and a lot of those mindset issues. And 
many of them, lo and behold, do suffer from some form of imposter syndrome. So that is why this is so exciting for me and why it's so near and dear to my heart, because I see it so often. It does afflict high achievers (laughs) a lot, which doesn't always make sense to a lot of people, but we're going to get into that today. What imposter syndrome is, why it happens, who it tends to affect the most, and most exciting of all, how to overcome it. Now, before we do dive in, I have a couple of administrative items for you. Number one, if you are enjoying this podcast, and especially if you enjoy today's, I have a favor to ask. Would you please share it on your favorite social media platform? Share it, tag a couple of folks that you know would enjoy it, and just let people know why they might want to listen to it. I would be so grateful. All you got to do to do that is go to lifeandlawpodcast.com forward slash episodes. Find this episode if uh, you are listening to it after its release or soon after its release. It'll be the first one. And then use one of the social media sharing buttons. Also, if you have not yet given me a review and a rating, I welcome it. In fact, I do ask for it. They tell me that it helps uh, get the podcast found, and I definitely want to get this in front of as many people as humanly possible. And I also love reading your reviews. I very much appreciate them and would love to see yours there. Finally, if uh, imposter syndrome is something that you do deal with, just note that I also have a free resource for you. So it will be in the show notes. Go take a look at it. It's called the Own Your Awesome Guidebook. Be sure that you download that for yourself as well. Okay, so enough of the admin stuff. Let's get into the program today. So first, it's important to understand what imposter syndrome even is. We talk about it a lot. I think you hear about it a lot. And, but it's, it's really important to understand what it is. I will say I'm not a big proponent of calling it imposter syndrome. I don't like the word syndrome. I don't really like imposter either. I think it's a little overdone. And I think a lot of people who do suffer from it don't realize that's what it is because they think, well, I don't think I'm a total imposter. And... Also, the word syndrome makes it sound like something's so wrong with you. It's interesting because it actually afflicts a whole lot more people than you would imagine, which maybe it's why they gave it that name. I don't know, but I don't love it. And I know quite a few folks who have come to me who talk about having self-doubts. And as we go deeper into it, we discover that it does fit the definition of imposter syndrome. When they first come to me, they argue, well, it's not imposter syndrome. So I get it. A lot of people don't love you know, the wording around it. But here's what it is. It is the feeling inadequate, okay, around your abilities, having self-doubts around your abilities, even in the face of evidence to the contrary. The reason why we say imposter is because you can also feel sometimes like an intellectual fraud, like, well, I've just been lucky. And they don't really realize, I don't know as much as they think I do. So when you start thinking those terms, you think that you might be kind of a fraud and that you're going to be found out. Another kind of typical sign would be the inability to recognize or celebrate your own achievements and successes, okay? So if these things describe you, then you probably do suffer from some level of imposter syndrome. Now, who does it affect the most? Well, high achievers, folks, which I think is why so few 
people who suffer from it like to admit that they suffer from it because those of us, and I'm definitely in this camp, who are high achievers like to think that we don't, you know, want, doubt ourselves, like to come across as confident and um, feel that we're not as competent as people think we are if we admit that we have these doubts. And so I think that's why uh, we don't like to admit it, right? And we don't like to say, oh, it's imposter syndrome. We just like to say, well, sometimes I just don't feel as confident. Here's the thing. A lot of high achievers do suffer from this. Now, sometimes it's because they have these beliefs and feelings to begin with, and it's what spurs them to work so hard and achieve so much. Other times, they're just more naturally hard workers. They achieve a lot. And then you look around and you're like, whoa, do I really deserve everything that I have? Maybe people overvalue me, okay? Sometimes it's a little bit of both. We hear about this a lot in respect of women. And I definitely will say, I would say 85 to 90% of my female clients have definitely had some remnants of imposter syndrome within them at some time or another. And so definitely it affects women. But I will say this, I've seen it in men too. It does impact men as well. I think that men really don't like the whole imposter syndrome <laughs> phrase. But look, guys, you doubt yourselves too sometimes, right? Sometimes you look around and think, God, do I really deserve this? Sometimes you, you know, you do the things that we're going to go over in a little bit about, you know, that show that you really have those signs. You can suffer from it as well. It is not just a female thing. In fact, it is estimated that up to 70% of people experience imposter syndrome at some point in their careers. Okay? Up to 70%. That's definitely going to cover more than just women. So guys can have this too. Now, where does it come from? Why do we feel this way? Well, there's a lot of things that can lead to imposter syndrome. Here are some of the most common causes. And FYI, what I find, and this is certainly true within my own life, is that it can be a combo of some of these things, okay? It's not always just one thing. So it could be how you grew up or how you were raised. Perhaps you weren't praised very often. And it created a need to feel worthy and always prove yourself. I definitely had a level of that myself. I've, I've talked before in episode number one uh, that kind of introduced you to this podcast and to me around how I grew up, how I had an alcoholic mom who really struggled. And it's not that she was a horrible mom. In fact, in many ways, she was a great mom, but she had so many battles and demons and she had some really bad choices and relationships with some men who weren't so wonderful that she had to deal with all of that. And my brother and I didn't really get the praise that we wanted and needed and deserved as kids sometimes as a result. And so I felt always like I needed to prove myself to the adults around there. And I think sometimes I got it as well because of the way that I lived. We grew up in a middle-class neighborhood. My mom was a single mom. She struggled with alcoholism. It was very embarrassing for me. We didn't have as much money as some other people did. We were very lucky to live there. but And we weren't poor, but we didn't have the money most others had. And I always felt like I needed to prove myself in some way, shape, or form so that I could stand out. And school was how I did that. And so that definitely rings a bell with me. You could have received undeserved praise, 
growing up that you know isn't true. We talk sometimes about this trophy generation, like that we've been raising and continue to raise kids by giving them trophies and giving them accolades and giving them stuff when they don't really deserve it. And I think sometimes we talk about these things a little too much, but I do think there's truth in them as well. And when we get a lot of undeserved praise, our brains know, right? We know, well, that's not really deserving. And so when you know that it isn't true, you set out to prove yourself otherwise, right? You might even have been just told you're not deserving. This can come in a lot of different forms that, you know, you don't deserve X because you didn't do Y or you did do Y. It might be a form of punishment, So maybe when you grew up, you were told you didn't deserve to watch TV that night or that weekend or in general because you didn't eat your potatoes, right? And I say potatoes for a particular reason because my son Noah, for some strange reason, does not like potatoes. I've never known a kid who didn't like them until he came along. So being told that you're not deserving of things as a form of punishment over and over can make you feel undeserving of praise in general and less worthy as a human. It can also be circumstantial as you go. So what do I mean by that? Circumstantial um, in respect of your current job, your current role, the people that you're working with, your current culture. It may have nothing to do with how you grew up. It may show up later in life. And this can come up because maybe you have a poorly defined role and you don't really know what you're supposed to be doing and so you feel like a fraud because you're just all over the place and nothing is defined for you. There could be poor communication of expectations, so you're unclear of what it is you are supposed to do and the expectations you're supposed to meet. You might be in an overly competitive environment that creates a toxic culture of comparison and eat-what-you-kill environment. Law firms, anyone? (laughs) I know not all law firms are like that, but there are many because we are super competitive folks, right? It could be that there's a lack of belonging or inclusion within your workplace, that you feel like an outsider, and that there isn't anybody you feel like you can talk to or support. It can be because you're micromanaged, and maybe you've never felt like this before because you know, you've never been managed like this, but you've gotten a new manager and she or he micromanages you to such an extent that you never feel like you measure up. And so now you're suffering from imposter syndrome. I have a client who is dealing with that right now. FYI, you might have some of these things in your background, like in how you grew up that could exacerbate it. That maybe how you know makes it show up, but it's easier to handle. But then you come into one of these circumstances and it just blows up in your face. That can happen too. So remember, I said that you can have a mix of these things. It can also be new experiences. So for example, maybe you've just made partner or maybe you've been promoted to a big or new role. And so you're not familiar with what it is you're supposed to be doing. That can bring on imposter syndrome for obvious reasons. I know that when I have dealt with it, have been very specific times in my life. Number one, when I first started practicing law, I remember very, very early getting a one-page letter agreement (laughs) that I was supposed to draft. And I'd never drafted an agreement. I think this was like a month in. And up to this point, I was the star new associate that they loved, right? And I went in with such gusto and drafted it and gave it and spent like over a day doing this. And it was seriously like two small paragraphs on one page. Hopefully you guys can relate to this too. And I turned it in and the next day I got it back and 
the amount of red that was on that page, he maybe kept a couple of my words. I mean, seriously, it was it. And I just, I was crushed. And I remember kind of going into a spiral after that of feeling completely inadequate because after that, I just kept realizing how every experience was new and I had no idea what I was doing. Well, then of course, over time, I got experience and I started to feel better. But I remember very clearly when I made partner, it came rushing back and I I went through this all over again and kept doubting myself and thinking, I don't belong here. Maybe they made a mistake. What if they find out I'm not good enough to be a partner? And then guys, it happened again when I started my new business. I It was a totally new experience. I was a business owner. I was branching out on my own. Even though I had built my book of business as a as a partner from scratch after just making partner, right? After losing it all in, in the 2008 financial crisis and building it from scratch to, God, it was over two and a half million. Somehow, I didn't feel like those skills would translate to my new business. And I, I dealt with it all over again. Now, of course, I was wrong, <laughs> but it took me a while to get over that and to realize that and to beat down the imposter syndrome all over again. So new experiences can definitely aggravate it and bring it back. So what I'm trying to get at here is imposter syndrome can really come and go based on what's going on in your life and in your career and your current role. So do not be surprised if you feel like you've overcome it and it does come back, which is why I think This episode is so important to listen to so that you can be on the lookout for these things. And then you'll have these tools that we're going to go over in a bit to help overcome it more quickly and not let it hold you back or bring you down. So we've been over kind of our past and how our past shapes us and can create it. We've been over the circumstances that can create it. There are a couple of hidden causes of imposter syndrome as well that I find are incredibly common in high achievers that really helps to exacerbate it and even create it in the first place. And so hidden cause number one is perfectionism, y'all. Most high achievers have perfectionism in them. We think that we have to be perfect. Sometimes we couch this in the language of high standards. Well, I just have high high standards. That used to be my language. That's what I always said. Hence, it's code for perfectionism. Okay, we got to get more okay with good enough and understanding that we are not perfect. Our results will not be perfect. We can't be. It's just humanly impossible. Now, some of the things that cause, you know, uh, imposter syndrome when you're a perfectionist, well, you tend to have extremely high goals, goals that might not be realistically reachable, at least in the time period that you have set. Um, You may not be able to attain them at all. Sometimes they're so high. And although sometimes that can help you to achieve more when we're perfectionists and we're not realistic about it, obviously then we feel like imposters when we're not able to achieve them. And on the way, we worry the whole time that we can't achieve them. Then afterwards, <laughs> we obsess over what should or could have been done better or different. And so we don't allow ourselves to celebrate the successes that we've had. So that's where perfectionism can lead to imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome hidden cause number two, what I call superhero syndrome. These are the folks that think they need to do it all. And by doing it all, mean it means being an expert at just about everything. 
right? You've got to do it. You've got to know it. You've got to be the one. Your ego is very tied up in how others perceive you, and you feel like you can't ever let people down. The problem, this leads to burnout, and eventually you're going to end up not being an expert at something. Because it's impossible, y'all. And that's really jarring. It leads you to start questioning yourself and your abilities. So that is how superhero syndrome will lead to imposter syndrome. And I mentioned it leads to burnout too. So I do have a an episode on burnout. And uh, if that is you and you are feeling burned out, highly recommend you go back and listen to that because it's got the signs, the symptoms, and also some solutions in there. And I will provide a link to that episode in the show notes. All right, so hidden imposter syndrome cause number three, the soloists, the going solo folks. This is those people who think that if you ask for help, you're admitting failure. You're not worthy. You don't know enough. And so you never ask for or accept help. You rarely or never delegate. Let me tell you, you are setting yourself up for failure because we all need help. You can't do it all on your own. Now, yes, this is very similar to superhero, but it is a little bit different because you try to do it by yourself. Not necessarily do everything, but the things that you do take on are all by yourself. So what happens is pretty much the same thing as with superhero syndrome. You end up with too much on your plate. It's too difficult to achieve. You can't get it. You end up messing up because uh, we can't do everything on our own. And then you doubt yourself along the way. And then, of course, question yourself afterwards all over again. Hidden cause number four is not being aligned to your values. When you are unaligned with your values, you end up very unmotivated. And I see this time and again. And I would say hmm, probably 65 to 70% of the people who come to me who are suffering from imposter syndrome have this as one of their biggest issues. They feel inadequate because they're out of sync with who they even are. Okay, when you don't align to your values, not only are you unmotivated, not only do you feel inadequate, but you're disappointed in yourself and your own efforts. Even if you're putting your all your all in, the lack of motivation makes you feel like you're not. So I see this a lot and that sounds kind of weird, but you might feel really unmotivated and yet still be working your butt off because that's what's required. That's what you've always done. But the fact that you feel so unmotivated makes you question yourself and still feel inadequate. And so it just goes down this horrible spiral. And so you feel like you're just not deserving of everything that you have. So what are the symptoms? What you sh- what should you be looking out for? Well, you probably already noticed. I've pretty much mentioned them, but let's go over them specifically here. Number one, feeling that you don't deserve everything that you have. Number two, feeling like, you know what? I've just been lucky. I don't deserve it. It was luck. Not being able to fully accept praise. Well, others did a lot of the work too. I had help. I had connections that helped me get this. Yeah, some of those things may be true, but you need to be able to accept your part. And if you can't, that's a sign. Feeling like other people overvalue you and your achievements. That's when you feel like you're an actual fraud, an intellectual fraud or imposter. And worrying, they're going to figure it out. 
I'm not as good as they think. I don't know as much. I don't deserve this. I don't know it all. Feeling burned out, imposter syndrome makes you really start questioning yourself. Then you doubt yourself even more, but you work harder, doubt more, work harder. Surely that leads to burnout eventually, right? This can actually eventually make you unwilling to take on new opportunities, unwilling to take a promotion, or maybe you take it, but you're deathly afraid of it. You don't really want it, but you're afraid to say something because of the imposter syndrome. Second-guessing yourself all the time. And I actually would say you probably obsess over the decision itself and take what feels like forever, at least worry over it. Then you finally decide, and then you still second-guess yourself. That shows up sometimes in your language, by the way. I think kind of pretty sure. Also, it can show up as somebody who has the attitude of, well, failure is just not an option. Those are my perfectionists out there. Those are my do-it-alls. Failure is not an option. Got to do it all. Got to be right. Got to be perfect. So those are some of the signs. So maybe start checking the language that you're using. Start thinking about the words that you're using inside of your head. What is that inner voice saying, right, about your abilities, about, you know, um, your efforts, about how, you, you know, how do you think about yourself, What's that language inside of your head saying? These are clues. All right, so what do you do about it? How can you actually overcome imposter syndrome? So I've got five different ways. And the number one way I always think you should start with, because this is so internal and it's such a big deal, and it's very hard to figure out how much this plays a part versus all the other things that we've talked about until you deal with this, okay? So the number one thing is check your values and make sure you're aligned to them. So obviously that means you need to know what they are, (laughs) okay? I have had an episode, several episodes around values and how to determine what they are if you're not sure. This is also something that a lot of coaches Uh, will work with you on. I work with this with a lot of my clients. So if you want to work with somebody, you can check out a coach. Doesn't have to be me. Or really just start asking yourself some basic questions around who am I? What's important to me? Why is it so important? There are specific questions you can ask and we don't really have the time to go into all of that. So I am going to link in the show notes the episodes that I've covered that kind of have those questions and where to go. I know there was an episode about how to get unstuck in your career early on in this podcast that does go through that. And I think there's another one. Um, In fact, I know there's another one. I just can't remember the name of it. But I will link to both of those so that you can go back and listen and make sure you have crystal clarity around your values because they are so important. Okay? So know what they are. And once you've identified them, make sure you've defined them clearly. What do they mean to you? Okay? So for example, service is one of my values. The value of service for me has always for much of my life meant, you know, doing my best for the benefit of others in everything that I do. So anything that I did, I kind of, you know, looked at, well, who is this for? It's not just for me. Who am I helping? How am I adding value here? And I would identify it and make sure I was doing the best I possibly could do. Well, for many years, that satisfied me. 
after going through my cancer journey, that value actually changed. And it took me a little while to figure that out. But there was something that was kind of out of sync with me post-cancer for a couple of years until I figured this out. And ultimately, it is what had me leave my legal career and start my current business, become a coach. And that was this value of service. Instead of thinking of it in that kind of more general, just do my best um, in respect of others and everything that I did, yes, that's still there. That's still part of it. But there was an added thing. I really wanted to make a bigger difference in people's lives on a more individual level and to share the lessons I've learned throughout my life with them to help them do that. And so that is how I define service. And because I was so out of sync, I didn't feel right, okay? So that's why I say you get very specific about not just the words you use for your values, but define what they mean. What does it mean to be that for you? It's going to be different for everybody. What service to me isn't what service to someone else, and that's okay. It's my definition for how I feel good about who I am and how I'm living my life. So once you do that, you got to ask, well, where am I out of sync? Where am I out of sync? And identify where and how. What's going on in my life? What are the pressures? What are the circumstances, external, internal? What boundaries am I allowing people to cross? Maybe, you know, there's all these things that go into where you're out of sync. Identify those. They're going to give you the answers for what to do, right? So that next step is, okay, what's my first step that I need to take to start getting into realignment? You don't have to come up with every step. Sometimes you just need one step or two steps, right? Sometimes you're going to need more. But you need to start saying, well, how could I get back into sync? How could I? What, what could be done? Because sometimes there's more than one possibility, by the way. And you want to get real and honest and not put pressure on yourself when you identify these things because sometimes they're kind of big things. So you want to kind of just say, well, what could be done so that you get honest and are willing to list those things for yourself? And then, y'all, you got to actually start taking those steps. Now, sometimes, as I mentioned, it could be small things that get you back into realignment. Other times, it could be big things. So let me give you some examples. Example one, let's say the culture of your work is really toxic. It doesn't align. It's not necessarily toxic for other people, but it's toxic for you because it doesn't align with your values. Well, that's a big thing. And the answer to that is most likely going to be that you need to change where you work because you can't easily, not saying it's impossible, but it's pretty hard to change the culture of your work. Or let's say that there is a particular colleague that you work with who oversteps a boundary over and over again. They're a needling coworker. And it really, you feel unaligned with the value because you're not standing your ground to uphold it. It could be that you just need to set a real boundary with them. Get a strong boundary, talk to them, and then enforce it. Okay? So there are different ways. It very much depends on what values you identify that you could be out of sync with and what the various options are for you. And again, highly recommend you go back and listen to episode seven, How to Get Unstuck, because that talks about how to 
align yourself to your values and also how to figure out what those values even are in the first place. Okay, so once you've gone through your values and you've determined what, if anything, needs to be done, there are some other things that you can still do that I do recommend. Because oftentimes, although I mentioned that a large majority of my clients who come to me with imposter syndrome definitely have some values issues that they need to realign with, there's usually something else going on too. It's not typically the only thing. So option number two is to proactively embrace praise. This means basically accepting and acknowledging it and working towards it, making it a goal. So when people say something to you that is praise, hey, you did a great job here. You need to look them in the eye and just say thank you. I appreciate that. No excuses. No buts. No, well, I had help. None of that. Just accept. And you've got to kind of agree with yourself over and over to do this. And then if you fall short, note it and say, you know what? I should have said this because I do acknowledge it. I do deserve it. Okay? you got to work at this one. Another way to do this is then to proactively do this for yourself. Identify what you've done and why you deserve what you have. So anytime you achieve something, and if you're a high achiever, you probably have goals. You meet certain milestones along the way. I know for me, I set an annual goal. And then I kind of do mini goals, like quarterly mini goals, because I find it very difficult to be constantly going after this big picture goal. Instead, I'm going for my quarterly goal that leads to the bigger goal. And if you're interested in that, I do plan to maybe host a workshop towards the end of this year or the beginning of next year on goal setting and planning. So be on the lookout for that. But when you achieve things, when you win a case, when a deal closes, when, you know, if you're in-house, when a big project gets finished, whatever it is, these are achievements. Regularly sit down and take just a couple of minutes to keep a running log, right? Here's what, I, what I've accomplished. Here's what I did to get myself here. Here are the skills and the knowledge and the unique strengths that I brought to the table, why I deserve this accomplishment, whatever it is, right? And you can look at the work, the hard work you put in, the time you put in, the milestones that were achieved. Start making a running list and look at it often to remind yourself that, yeah, I am worthy. The third option, identify the gap. So the gap of where you started versus where you are now as you accomplish and you achieve things. To go back and say, okay, proactively, here's where I started. I didn't know X, Y, and Z. I didn't have this skill. I hadn't really been able to fully utilize or hone this strength. But here's where I am now. Here's what I've accomplished and achieved as a result of these strengths. And here's what I've learned Here's how I've grown. This takes that last one even a step further to really lean into you, what you've learned, how you've grown, how you've developed. What you're doing here is you're comparing yourself to you 
at an earlier time. Instead of comparing yourself to some unattainable standard, the next one is to identify and change your labels. So what do I mean by that? So we humans often take on certain labels. This starts from childhood, goes into school, college, even early adulthood. And oftentimes it's because we're given these labels by family, teachers, friends, etc. They can be based on various traits and they can be based on specific experiences and circumstances. But regardless, they're not who you are. Yet we tend to take them on, these labels, as though they are who we are. So some examples, hardworking, competitive, the smart one, the sensitive one. The problem with these is when we start to self-identify with these labels as though these are who we are, it's hard to see that we have other traits and characteristics. So for example, you would think, well, the smart one, that's a great label to have, right? But then you can take, on, take that on to the point where you feel like you always have to live up to it. So the perfectionism can come out of that, right? The do-it-all, the going solo, all of those things can come out of being labeled the smart one. Or you're just super competitive or you're really hardworking. Well, those can be seen as good traits, but they can also have a negative connotation to them as though you're not really as smart. And so you're achieving just because you're working harder, right? So it's important to understand what your labels are. What are those labels that you've been given, that you've taken on for yourself? Because there are internal stories and narratives around those. And although they can benefit you, they can also be holding you back. And the interesting thing that I find is often just identifying what these labels are and the stories we've told ourselves, those self-narratives we have around them, does wonders in and of itself. Because you haven't really fully realized how wrapped up in those stories you were. And once you do, it's a lot easier to start untangling from them. Once also that you're able to identify those labels and the stories, you can start to proactively challenge them. Ask yourself, really? Does that really mean that I'm only that way and can't be these other things? When you ask it that way, your brain is more likely to say, well, heck no. You're challenging it and setting it up to say, well, there's all this other stuff too. You actually are more than that. So observe those narratives, observe those labels, and pay attention to the thoughts and the beliefs that you have around them and counter them. Okay, finally, the last way, journaling. And there's a specific set of questions that I want you to go through if you're going to journal. So I've talked about journaling before, and it can be a really powerful way to overcome and change thought patterns. What journaling really can do for you if you do it in the way that I'm going to go through here is help you become much more self-aware and awareness is key because you can't do anything about it if you're not aware of what's really going on inside of your head, those internal narratives, the things that you say to yourself that cause you to feel like an imposter. And we're going to go through a specific set of questions that are really going to help uncover what's going on in there so that you can deal with it, okay? And then make different choices. This is a self-awareness technique, but because of the questions and the way that you're going to go through this, 
and then we're going to do a reframe as well, okay? You're going to start teaching your brain to think differently. You're rewiring it to think differently. And so that's why this is so powerful. So step one in journaling is to ask and answer some very basic questions. So first and foremost, what am I feeling? So just write down the thoughts, the feelings really, not why, but what. What am I feeling? Do I feel like a fraud? Do I feel unworthy? Do I, you know, what are you feeling? What are those words? And then you look at those and you ask your next question. What happened to make me feel this way? So what are the actual circumstances going on that have made me have these feelings? And write that down. And then once you've written that down, go to the next question. Question three is, what am I thinking about myself and my abilities in respect of all of this? So these are really, this is getting at what are your beliefs about yourself? What are your thoughts about your abilities? What are those internal narratives that are in the back of your head that are leading you to feel the way that you do because of the circumstances or whatever happened? Okay? All of this is the self-awareness piece. Be sure that you're honest and you really go all in. But also, once you've answered these questions, move on. Don't obsess over them. They are what they are. Keep moving. Okay? Question number four is how might that not be true? What evidence do I have that says this could either be false, outright false, or not completely true. So you're countering that, what am I thinking about myself and my abilities with other evidence that it might not be fully true or true at all. Now, I want you to ask it that way for a specific reason so that you allow your mind to go there. How might that not be true? What evidence do I have that says this could be false or just not completely true? That question allows your mind to come up with the real answers and not say, oh, but it is. Okay, so after you've journaled all of this, you look at it and say, well, how do I want to reframe this? Using the evidence that I've just presented that it's not fully true or not true at all, how can I reframe this and what I like to moving forward? Think about what you're learning. Think about how much you're growing. Think about... How it's okay because you're not supposed to know it all. Think about the reality of the situation. Think about how you would tell somebody else who is in the same situation, who you care about, that you can see objectively and know that their true talents are still there. How might I reframe this? This is going to help rewire your mind to think differently and let go of those feelings of imposter. Not worthy don't know enough, don't deserve it, all of that. Okay, I very much hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Again, please do download the Own Your Awesome guidebook. It takes a little bit deeper dive into some of the strategies that we cover today, and it has a couple of new ones for overcoming imposter syndrome as well. And just note that a lot of what we talked about today really aggravates those vulnerable feelings, right? The thoughts and the feelings that come up that we don't like to feel. 
So I would also point you to episode number 28. That's specifically around how to deal with all those uncomfortable thoughts and feelings that we don't like to feel and become more more comfortable with the discomfort. It is one of my short summer series, so it's probably like 15 to 20 minutes long. I highly recommend you go and check it out. Also, check out episode number 27, how to use affirmations effectively. Affirmations can be another way to help combat imposter syndrome. And that is a short summer series episode as well. So go check out episodes 27 and 28. That is it for this week. Bye for now. Are you tired of just barely squeezing the personal into your life while thinking there's got to be more to success and life than this? If that's you, I want you to know that you can have both balance and success at the same time as a lawyer. And it's not as hard as you might think. If this speaks to you and you're ready to do something about it now, book a call with me to see how coaching can help. Go to lifeandlawpodcast.com forward slash free call. You only get one life, so be sure not to put you off forever. Thank you for listening to the Life and Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a follower or subscriber, be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both life and law, including the Life and Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.